Hey everybody, good afternoon. <clears throat> Pardon me, good morning to you. It's 11.14 a.m. on uh, February 16th. Purdue will play Northwestern tonight at 9 p.m. Thanks to the Big Ten Network scheduling Purdue for the dang late slot. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I actually am uh, looking forward to seeing how Purdue handles the... Um, the fatigue factor and all the stuff they've been wrestling with. Uh, listen to Matt Painter's comments on his show earlier this week. He sees a couple problems that have cropped up with this team. He sees some other problems that have been there all season. Um, he keeps saying that we, we have a bunch of guys that don't communicate well defensively, and it leads to problems. They have a couple guys he talks about that communicate really well. I think they won't surprise you. He said Gillis and... Morton earlier in the season were guys that uh, were really good at talking uh, well on defense. And uh, it's, that's a key part of uh, how you get back on fast breaks and things like that. Some other guys struggle a little bit in that category. Not the end of the world, but uh, the composite, all these things come together to make Purdue what we see today. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what this Purdue team, how this Purdue team um, compares to some others in recent history and a little bit further back, um, specifically those teams that have done really well in the NCAA tournament. And uh, I'll let you guys make your own decisions on where you think Purdue stands. Um, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I don't, you know, it depends on how you view this uh, podcast, this quick cast, how you view me as a, a person or a fan, whatever. I'm not an analytical guy at all. I really, most things I do, especially Purdue related or from the gut, I like to look up stats and things like that to reinforce what I already feel or what I think I feel or what I think I see. But I'm generally not a guy who looks at analytics first. Um, but I wanted to do this just because I wanted to see, um, you know, we've you've heard me talk a bit about Purdue's defensive woes and what they might mean to Purdue in the uh, in the postseason, and uh, I wanted to look a little bit deeper, dive a little bit deeper into this. I really like Ken Palm. I talk about Ken Palm a lot because I think um, the algorithms that Ken Pomeroy have made uh, seem to be relatively consistent. They're modern enough. They make sense uh, in the modern game, uh, and when you look at where teams square up, um, it, it's generally a pretty good barometer uh, what Ken Palm says they are. Purdue has been really liked by the, the Ken Palm algorithm in the last decade or so, a little bit further back. Um, I think it's because of offensive efficiency. And before that, Purdue was extremely defensively efficient. Uh, on my dive, what I found is Purdue wasn't quite as efficient defensively in some of the se seasons that were good of late than uh, I thought they were. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this. I'll get into this. Before I do it, um, thanks to Gridiron Metalworks, uh, Martin Vintage, and AJ's. Appreciate those guys. And I uh, uh, would love for you to go and uh, spend some of your hard-earned money with our friends, our sponsors, because they're, they're good Purdue folks, and why the heck not? They all, they all make great products. And really, if you're going to spend money these days, you want your money to go as far as it can, because things are tight. Just speak for myself here. All right. Anyway, let's talk a little bit. So when you look at Ken Palm's rankings at the end of the season, obviously the season is settled. The dust is cleared. Um, the tournament has run its course. And so I looked at Ken Palm's ratings at the end of the season. That's important to know. 
but I wanted to go through four tournaments specifically, four final fours, look at those teams and how they squared up according to Ken Palm's rankings, okay? So let's do this real quick. I'm gonna have to uh, kind of dig through my notes. So if I stutter and stagger more than usual, you'll know why, because I was trying to go as quickly as I could. <clears throat> In 2017, the Final Four consisted of Gonzaga, UNC, uh, Oregon, and South Carolina. Um, Gonzaga was first overall in Ken Palm. UNC was third. Oregon was 10th. And South Carolina was an odd one at 24. Okay? So I tried to pick out the outlier liar then, um, which one of them was not statistically high offensively and defensively. You probably won't be surprised to know most teams that get to the Final Four are really efficient offensively and defensively. Most of them are in the top 5 to 10 offensively and then defensively in the top 20. Okay, uh, That year, South Carolina made it through, and they were uh, 91st on offense and 3rd on defense. I think you're going to find um, the, the exceptions, the ones that I mentioned here in these, these four years of tournament, um, but they're, they're odd teams. They're really odd teams. And they had something big happen to them. Either they were a force of nature. Um, they, you know, <laughs> I mean, South Carolina was a team that was, I think, barely ranked much of that season. And uh, then they made a run in the NCAA tournament because they had a very, very good player. Um, again, that's a theme we're going to see over and over, too. So next up, we'll look at 2018. Final four was Loyola, uh, Villanova. Michigan and Kansas. Okay. Um, first off, Nova was number one um, when it all set, was said and done, of course. Uh, Mich Michigan was seventh, Kansas was ninth, and Loyola was 31st. Loyola was a weird team. You guys remember them. We remember they've had multiple um, tournament runs, but at that end of that season, they were 63rd on offense and 17th on defense. Okay. I'm getting someplace, so stick with me. In 2019, uh, and that's the that's the heartbreaking year for us, for Purdue fans, uh, when Virginia earned a berth in the Final Four, eventually won the national title. Let's not forget, year before, they got knocked out 16 uh, over a one, which was history. Maybe, I think that was the year before. And they came back <clears throat> and did really big things, uh, obviously, and had to go through Purdue to do that. Um, that Final Four was Virginia at number one, Michigan State at number three, Texas Tech at number five, and Auburn at 11. The outlier in that group, because all the rest of them were really strong, uh, both closely clustered offensive and defensive efficiency, the outlier in that one was Texas Tech. And this one was a little bit more of a chalky Final Four. Uh, they were 25th in offensive efficiency and first in defensive efficiency. See, they ate a lot of teams up. Uh, beard teams eat a lot of teams up. They're very, very good. 2020, of course, no NCAA tournament. One of the most heartbreaking couple of weeks for me. Um, I documented here, so I didn't even I didn't even look do a dive into that statistically. In twenty one, last year you had um, last year you had Baylor at uh, pardon me Gonzaga number one, Baylor number two, Houston number five, and UCLA number thirteen. Baylor won it all. Um, the outlier in that one uh, is not too far uh, not too far off the beaten path. They were 11th in offensive efficiency and 46th in defensive. So now we're starting to get into the point where we're getting close to the realm where Purdue is now, but we're not there yet. 
So we look at Purdue right now in Ken Palm's uh, algorithm, 22. Purdue is uh, their 11th, okay? And Purdue has been flirting with the top of the Ken Palm algorithm all season. They've been at the top or near the top at Haslametrics algorithm, other um, other computers like Purdue, like Purdue as well. But obviously the last two games are a bit of a swoon. Um, statistically, it shows Purdue is dropping like a rock. They went from the best team in offensive efficiency in the Big Ten. Now they're second behind Iowa. Um, other um, uh, measurables, including um, uh, differential, uh, Purdue has, has dropped significantly. And uh, they have a lot of chance to, I, I keep saying this, they have a lot of opportunity in front of them with some really good teams and some teams that are hot to really make some noise as they get ready for the NCAA tournament. Of course, you've got Northwestern, who Northwestern is going to be a tough out. I, I just feel like they're going to be. I'm looking for... Um, I'm looking for uh, Sasha to con- continue what he's been doing because Northwestern will switch in and out of zones. So for Purdue to be able to uh, force Northwestern back into the man situation where they can go back to the post, uh, they're going to need Sasha and Ivy specifically to shoot the three well. Maybe Hunter, who's been pretty well, uh, he's been shooting it pretty well, especially it, uh, when he's needed to, to hit a big shot. Uh, but I, I look for Sasha again to do something. I think he will. Um, I'm hoping the guys have their legs under him. That's the biggest thing. But Purdue is 11th in Ken Palm's ranking. They are first in offensive efficiency still, in spite of the last two games, and 113th in defensive efficiency. So they've really been flirting around 90 to 115 generally. Not a very good place, especially when you look at the other teams that have made the Final Four in the recent past. So when I looked at that team specifically, I said, okay, who else is like this Purdue team in recent memory and further back? Okay, let me, let me, let me first, let's go to a happy time. Let's go to something that a lot of Purdue fans think, especially a lot of fans uh, think of the NCAA tournament as really the glass they look through when they look at success from a season, especially younger fans. When I say younger, 50 and under. Older fans really love Big Ten, uh, Big Ten championships, it seems. That's fine. Uh, I got nothing against them but but really I think people my age and younger and it's hard for me to say that I'm younger I'm sure many of you guys don't think of me as young my gray my beard tells the story um but the 2018-19 Purdue team went to the final eight they broke through Matt Painter's glass ceiling that was an important year obviously that team was interesting all year um they were really in the 15 down to seven or eight According to Ken Palm, they just kind of bounced around in there. Very good team, but would have frustrating games and frustrating losses. And games specifically where Carson Edwards would shoot a billion shots and his offense, uh, his efficiency wasn't on, so Purdue's took a hit. Still, though, in spite of that, Purdue was fourth in America in offensive efficiency that year and 34th defensively. They finished the season 26-10 and 10 and ninth in Ken Palm, almost exactly, you know, like when you uh, look at where they bowed out in the, in the round of eight, um, that tells a lot of the story. Um, but that, that, that's where that team stood. Um, that team is a great example of something that I've always talked about in the NCAA tournament, a dynamic score, a guard can make all the difference in the world. He can put you on your back, on his back and go do big things. And then you, if you have a good shooter on top of that, that can make a big difference. And then finally, point guard play. I've talked about these things. Purdue's point guard play was actually really good in that NCAA tournament. Purdue didn't turn over the ball a ton. Ryan Klein shot his ass off, okay? And 
of course, Carson Edwards was historically good from deep and did some things that nobody had ever done. He rivaled Steph Curry's numbers. Um, he did special things, and it took Purdue far almost by itself. Okay, so who, who is this year's Purdue team really like? Let's go back one year. It was real simple. One year, um, Iowa last year. And Iowa was a team that really was flirting with the Big Ten championship the whole year. Their offense was absolutely monstrous, um, but their defense was horrendous. Um, it looked at times like they weren't trying to play defense. I don't think that's the case. I just think they weren't very good defensively. But that Iowa team, 21, um, they finished seventh in the Ken Palm, and they were third in offensive efficiency, 75th in defensive efficiency. Let's, let's not forget how that season ended for Iowa. I believe it was in the second weekend in the round of 16 they got beaten, I believe. Um, but another interesting parallel, they had two NBA players on that team, uh, Wisecamp and, and Garza. They went 55th and 56th in the draft. I think Purdue has one or two guys that are going to be drafted in the NBA draft. They have one that's going to be obviously a high pick. They have one that's probably going to be a late second rounder if Trey Williams gets picked. Um, and I, I still think, because we've seen it, there are, there are examples of this, like that Michigan team back in 2018 and then another Michigan team before that. Um, if you get on a magical run, it gets everybody's attention. I think this Purdue team has the potential to do that. I don't know if I believe they're going to, but I think they have the potential to do that. And if they do, it'll be like guys like Ivy and guys like Edie who are really making noise in the process, in my opinion. Another guy that would be important would be Hunter, having an excellent NCAA tournament just because the offensive efficiency is really going to be predicated greatly upon how he plays, how he handles pressure, because teams are going to throw the pressure at Purdue, I think, over and over and over. And as we saw in, I can't remember which game it was right now, maybe the Illinois game, when some teams extend the press and Purdue has it figured out, wasn't the Illinois game, it was right before that. It was against Michigan the first time they played them at uh, Mackey. They extended the, the press, and Purdue, I think that was the same game, Purdue handled it very, very well and got a lot of easy buckets off of it. They made them pay, and that's the issue. Purdue, um, right now, as Painter said, they're just not practicing full practices, and so they're coming into games unprepared, which I don't understand how they're not prepared for a trap, honestly, but they're not prepared, and when they're not prepared, it shows. So... Finally, let's look at one more team. Uh, went to the Final Four, had a magical run, was good most of the year, but wasn't quite as good as their uh, end of the season. This team was Marquette, 2003. Dwayne Wade's team. Um, they were very, very good. Finished the season 27-6, and six, okay? Um, they were 15th in Kim Palm's um, equation overall, and they were second in offensive efficiency, and 109th in defensive efficiency. That's a pretty good comparison to this Purdue team numbers-wise. Plus, it's easy to say Wade and Ivy are similar types of players. Obviously, um, almost more, more like John Morant um, a couple years ago, Wade on that team was absolutely essential. He was everything. The offense ran through him first. He was the first option. Purdue, of course, is much different. That's why I brought Iowa into that for multiple reasons. One, Purdue's offense runs through their big. Garza, obviously, um, their offense ran through Garza. And Purdue's runs through whoever, whichever big is on the floor at the, t at the time. And that comes down to Painter really believing in analytics and believing higher probability of a big man getting the ball, shooting it, is a good thing. So um, 
That's about all I had for you today. You guys can draw your own conclusions based on what I told you. Um, like I said, I'm really naturally not an analytical guy. That research took me a little bit of time. It probably bored some of you to tears, and you're probably, you probably you like it a lot more when I'm just yelling and ranting like I was uh, a couple nights ago or a couple afternoons ago um, following the Maryland win. Um, but I can, I've got range. I can go both ways. I can rant and rave and be a lunatic, and I can try to be analytical. Um, uh, last night, if you were watching uh, basketball, if you're watching Wisconsin and IU, you got to see an interesting game, a game that's hard to, for Purdue fans to really understand where they stand on it because uh, I, I, I did not root for either team. I know it, was better, it would have been better for Purdue for Wisconsin to lose, but Purdue really controls their own destiny with Wisconsin specifically. And once again, if you haven't heard me say this, I don't care about the Big Ten title. It all comes down to the seeding and how that's going to be affected. Um, but uh, Johnny Davis is a beast. He absolutely ripped IU's heart out. He did it to Purdue just a short time ago, but he was at a higher level even than he was versus Purdue, it felt like, especially down the stretch. He was doing everything he needed to do. I'm going to look at a couple of questions, and then I'm going to call it a day here. Um, Boilermaker63 says, glad to hear you going into more detail on this. Parrish had a similar discussion on last Friday's CBS basketball podcast, but just threw out numbers. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm the nichiest of niche podcasts, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that has the time to do it because this is what I talk about. I talk about Purdue. Um, but if you look at those other teams, um, obviously something we can't put our finger on is the timing, the kind of the, the magic of what's happening in that tournament run, and the coaching. When I look at Fran McCaffrey and when I look at Tom Crean specifically, those two teams that I thought compared to Purdue, I think Matt Painter is a drastically better coach. And guess what? He's better in the tournament too, historically. Painter is a better coach than those two guys. I think that has to be brought into the equation. The way Painter handles conflict, the way Painter handles pressure is different than those guys. I think that matters. So um, I'm not, like, I hope you guys understand. I try to be as fair as I can with Painter. Many of you think I'm too hard on him. Many of you think I'm too soft on him. I guess I'm doing my job if I have people on both sides saying complaints to me. But um, I think Painter is a solid coach. I think this team is a solid team. I think this team compares to a lot of Purdue teams really um, that they were, they're good, but they're flawed. I think this team's flaws are glaring right now as fatigue happens. It's not a lot different than you and I, right? When you're tired, the bad things of you show up pretty quickly. For me, my temper shows up when I'm, when I'm tired, okay? So... Maybe that's just that simple. This Purdue team, everything's being amplified right now as they have dead legs and they're struggling through the this this tough part of the season. Um, okay, a couple other things. Um, Boiler Bugle says, really hope to see some good shooting Northwestern tonight. No doubt. I think it's the key to the game. Um, Brian T says, point guard play and free throw percentages are crucial in March in addition to playmaker and shooter. Yeah, Brian, you're absolutely right. If Purdue, the good news is, the problems they were having shooting free throws back in December seemed to be generally up. Uh, the last game, uh, that wasn't great. But um, some of the bad habits are being broken loose. And it's a simple, honestly, it's a lot of pressure put on one guy. But if Edie hits his free throws, it is an absolute game changer for this Purdue team. It gives everybody a chance to slow down, take a deep breath, make the buckets, and extend leads generally, right? Purdue will play with leads again this season. It's not over. The Michigan game, I think that one is an absolute aberration. The, the Maryland game is a weird one, um, but I really think the true identity of this Purdue team, 
has been shown that it's it's a very efficient, very good offense, and then a defense that struggles to stop people when they really need to stop. Um, those last two games are dogs, though. I, I, I don't know how to look at it any other way. Um, <laughs> Brian says he appreciates this level of insight. Uh, you're welcome. Glad to do it. I had a thought this morning. I thought it would be a good thing to look into. thought some people might get something out of it. Um, Luke says Purdue has shown that they can flip on the switch on defense in late games. Hopefully they realize the switch needs to be flipped um, from the tip of the tournament. So, Luke, I have a problem with this idea. And I talked to my wife about this idea. Uh, very different, less important uh, to have basketball compared to a married relationship. But I told my wife, I said, we create our habits, right? Uh, as a married couple, we treat ourselves or treat each other well, respect each other. We set a precedent for the long haul that that person is the most important thing to us um, outside of God. Um, and then the kids come after the married relationship. I think it's absolutely essential. I know it's a weird thing to compare this, but I think you have to have good habits in place when you come to the tournament because now you're playing in a more of a pressure cooker. You're aware you're, you're, you're at death's door if you make too many mistakes and bad things can happen. I have a hard time believing this Purdue team can flip on the switch. I really do. I don't think they have a defensive switch. I'll say the other, that's the other thing. I think they've, got, they've been fortunate a couple times. The teams have missed. I think they are so bad at getting around screens. I think they are really bad at defending threes um, when there is uh, action to get a guy open. Um, and I think it's something that's not really going away. I think that's what we see statistically with Purdue in the one-teens on defense. These struggles are real. These aren't imagined. This Purdue team just struggles defensively. Uh, plain and simple. And even when they're succeeding, like when Trey Williams gets around a guy, knocks the ball away, Painter has stressed that's actually not the way this defense is supposed to play. It's not supposed to be a guy taking a big risk because if he gets out of position, there's an easy bucket after that, and that has happened over and over to this Purdue team. So I am skeptical of that. I will continue to be skeptical of that. Um, finally, um, uh, let's see. Judith says it's interesting. Uh, Judith Johnson says this is interesting. Uh, appreciate it. So um, that's about it. Appreciate all you people that uh, tuned in live. Uh, that's that's a big deal. It's fun to go back and forth. Um, I'm going to try to do a post game tonight. Uh, it'll be it'll be late after the Northwestern game. Hopefully, I'll be in good spirits. Um, okay, Brian T has one more comment. With Jaden's quickness, why not place him on the leading score in the lockdown role? Seems to. Uh, seems like the potential missed opportunity. I'll tell you why, Brian. I, in my opinion, when I watch Jaden Ivey play defense, you talk about a guy that kind of kind of comes and goes defensively. There are times when he's super motivated and he's very, very good. His athleticism, his length um, make him kind of a dead ringer to be a good defensive player eventually. He's not that great yet, and I think it comes down to the consistency of effort. And I think part of that comes down to he gets banged up a lot during games, right? We see him go up, gets knocked down, hurts his hip, hurts his ankle, hurts his side, hurts his shoulder, whatever, right? He's had a lot of injuries he's gotten through. I wish he'd use his feet when he lands. That's just me. Um, he sells out, though. You know, I think he can't have everything. Um, he's a bit like a, a, a baby um, deer, right? Kind of awkward when he goes up in the air, comes down. He's so smooth with the ball, such a great athlete. But those falls, uh, they're not good. And I think he pays a price for that as he kind of shakes those off and smarts a bit. At least that's the theory I'm using because his defense is not consistent and his effort doesn't seem real consistent. I do think when the lights come on in the tournament, he'll try to get up there. The problem is we saw this last year. 
when you have bad habits built in and then you have a bad game, like this Purdue team, if you have a bad game offensively, they don't kick into gear defensively. That's my biggest fear. North Texas, gosh darn it, that, that game it should still kind of ring in our heads a little bit. I know the team's a little bit different this year, but um, bad habits um, show themselves really, really prevalently in the NCAA tournament. Um, so uh, that's about it. Uh, again, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, hope to see you tonight after a Northwestern win, but nothing's a gimme. Uh, college basketball is an absolute mother. Wake Forest was this close to beating Duke last night at Cameron. It happens. Uh, so if Purdue's not ready, Purdue could lose this game, real plain and simply. Have a great day. God bless you. Hammer down. Talk to you soon. We'll see you.